Well, I think that was the first time for Drew to be uh, done on time, so I'll buy you a coffee this week or something. Well, again, thanks for being here tonight. Um, as Nate and Drew and Brad have already said, you know, we thank you for taking time to be here. Uh, we have three goals uh, for Regroup, that you'll be equipped, inspired, and encouraged. And so we hope that as you leave tonight, you feel that way. Uh, we hope that you feel full. Uh, as I dive in, I want to share a, a story. When I headed off to college, uh, I got a car when I arrived. My older brother and sister went to college in the same town that I went to. And so they had bought a car for $500 when they got to college. And when I arrived, they handed down that car to me. They each got their own new car. And I wanted to show you a picture of my car. So you'll see it on the screen here. There we go. 1979 Oldsmobile Delta 88. Uh, I loved that car. Um, there was a few things I loved about it. One, it was massive. It was huge. Um, when I wrote, went down the road, it would just kind of hover um, as you turn corners. Um, I, I actually called it the Ark. Um, I could carry a lot of students from the college with me. Uh, another thing I loved about it is it had a massive engine. So if I pulled up to a gas light or, or to a stoplight and one of my friends uh, pulled up next to me, then I could usually beat them off the line uh, if we were going to try to race. Um, and another thing that I loved about this uh, car is it had a massive gas tank that I could go almost a month uh, without filling up my gas tank. And so, you know, as a college student, you know, I, I loved that. I was poor. You know, gas at that time was only like a dollar a gallon. So it wasn't that uh, expensive, but still, you know, a whole month without filling up the gas tank is nice. And so one day I was uh, giving a ride to a girl from college. We went over to my sister's house. She lived near campus. And as we were heading back, I started to brag to her how long I had gone without filling up my gas tank. So you, can't, you probably know what's going to happen. So we're driving down the road, getting close to the campus. And all of a sudden, the car starts sputtering. And I, I didn't really know what was happening uh, at first. But then the car died. And I'm like... I ran out of gas. <laughs> so th this was back before most people had cell phones. I didn't have a cell phone. Uh, she hopped in the driver's seat. We put the car in neutral. We were maybe a half a mile or so from a gas station. So I said, okay, I'm just going to push this car uh, to the gas station. And the problem was, it's a massive car. So, you know, I'm behind this. I'm pushing. Um, and another problem was there was a slight incline on the way to the gas station, so my legs are burning, uh, but as you get going, there's usually a little momentum, so it's getting a little bit easier, and, and as we were nearing the gas station, uh, someone saw me struggling, uh, they stopped their car, and they said, hey, do you want to ride to the gas station, and I was like, I'm almost there, but okay, uh, so I hopped in their car, uh, I grabbed a gas can, I filled up the gas can, and I went back to my car, I flipped down the license plate, that's where you put the gas in. Uh, filled up the tank, and I made it back to the college campus uh, with a little less pride. But, but the point of that story is that cars are not meant to go without gas, and leaders are, are not meant to lead without God. But for many of us, we are leading groups on an empty gas tank. For many of us, instead of barreling down the road, ready to put our pedal to the metal as we lead our groups, we are pushing uphill, we are worn out, and we are struggling. 
And our theme for tonight is full. And the main goal of tonight isn't that you will be filled with food or with garbage plates, but it's that we would be filled uh, with a position of fullness in Christ, not spiritual emptiness. And yet you might say tonight, Jason, I don't just feel like I'm pushing a dead Oldsmobile up a hill. I feel like I'm pushing a Mack truck up a hill when I'm leading my group. Now, now, if you're honest, when you got uh, an email or got contacted by your coach uh, a few weeks ago as we were jumping into the fall, how did you feel? Well, when I sent out an email a few weeks ago and I said, hey, what are your plans for this fall? Are there any changes? Who's leading with you? Where are you meeting? You know, what was going through your mind? When, when your group leader said, hey, do you want to jump in and lead with me in group this year? What, what were you thinking? Well, I hope for many of us that we were excited about the year ahead. We, we looked forward to reconnecting with our group members. Uh, maybe you look forward to meeting some new people, people who are on the front end of faith that you can invest in, you can help them grow in their faith. Maybe you, you're eager. You, you said, man, not just do I want to provide accountability for the people in my group, but I need accountability. I'm struggling and I need that accountability in my life. I, I hope that that is what many of us felt Um, But maybe you felt this way. You you thought, man, another year of leading group. You know, I I just don't know if I have capacity for this. Maybe you were thinking, this summer break was really nice, you know, and I could just get really used to showing up to church on Sunday, skipping group, and and just connecting with the people that I already know. Maybe you'd say, you know, I just don't know that I have that much to offer spiritually. My own relationship with God is a struggle, Maybe you'd say, my spiritual disciplines, well, they're, they're just not that disciplined, or that your marriage is challenging, that your work situation is a bit precarious, you know, you're just trying to stay employed. Maybe it's hard to keep the house in order, or keep up with your bills, or spend enough time with your aging parents or your kids, and you're saying, Jason, my gas tank is almost empty, you know, I can barely make it to my next appointment. I know I'm supposed to lead other people spiritually, but but how am I supposed to lead people to a place that I'm not experiencing myself? Tonight, as we gather together at Regroup, we want to remind ourselves of what is most important. That we were created to know God. We were created to make him known. That we were created to know Christ. And Paul talks about this in Philippians 3. He says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Our very first group leader essential is to pursue Christ. We have six group leader essentials at Northridge. We'd say if you want to boil down group leadership to six things that you must do, it's these six things. And group leader essential number one is to pursue Christ. All of the other essentials, they rise and they fall on this one. And yet as leaders, it's so easy to get caught up in having the right skills or doing the right practices and, and leading a group that we miss the main thing. That at the heart of following Christ is a life that is lived in his presence. Jesus spoke about that on the night before his crucifixion. Uh, He had a meal with his disciples. And then as they were headed to the garden where he would pray, in John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So here Jesus is warning of a danger that we can get so busy serving God that we can fail to be with God. That one of the dangers of group leadership is that we focus more on what we're doing for Christ than being with Christ. And here's the problem. When we focus more on what we do for Christ than being with Christ, then our fruitfulness for Christ fades. Jesus, again, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Look at verse 4 in in chapter 15. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. What he's saying here is that a heart that is absent from Christ will fail to be fruitful for Christ. That when our love for God fades, well, then so does our fruitfulness for him. That when our love for God fades, not only do we stop being fruitful for him, but our love for other people also begins to fade. Do you remember the first time in your life where your faith kind of awakened, where your faith ignited? Uh, For me, that was sometime uh, as, as a teenager. I remember overhearing a conversation that my older sister was having with my parents. She was talking about doing devotions or having a quiet time, reading the Bible. And I thought, oh yeah, uh, I guess that is something that I am supposed to do as a Christian. So I asked my parents to buy me a study Bible. And so that year for Christmas, they bought me a study Bible. They bought me a book by John MacArthur on how to read and study the Bible as I was trying to figure it out. And I still remember uh, that summer, my brother headed off to college. And for the first time in my life, I had my own room. And I loved to stay up late. I would turn off all the lights in my room, and I would put on my desk lamp, and I would open up my Bible. And I still remember jumping in to read the book of Acts for the first time and my faith being awakened. I remember hearing and reading the story of Peter and John. They were defying the religious uh, leaders who were saying, don't talk about Jesus. In Acts 4.13, he says, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they marveled and took note that these men had been with Jesus. And so what was it that the religious leaders noticed? Well, they noticed that Peter and John had been with Jesus. Paul also had encountered the risen Jesus. And when he did that, his life changed. Nothing mattered for him anymore except that he would tell the whole world about Christ. And I remember getting to Acts chapter 20 and verse 24. And I remember reading that and then underlining it and then highlighting it and then memorizing it. In Acts 20, 24, he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So Paul, he had encountered the risen Jesus, and nothing mattered to him anymore but that he would invest his life in others. He wrote about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse 14, he says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So the love of Christ, it it compelled Paul to no longer live for himself, but to live for others. But but it didn't just change what Paul was living for. It also changed how he viewed people. He goes on to say in verse 16, he says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. 
Paul no longer viewed people for what they could give him or avoided people because of what they would demand from him. But he saw people as image bearers. They were broken by sin, but they were being transformed by Jesus. And he says in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. The love of Christ had, had changed Paul's perspective. He knew that God had given him a mission, that he's given all of us a mission. And that mission is that we are to invest our life in other people so that they can be reconciled to God. And he he talks about that in verse 18. He says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And I remember reading scripture as a 16-year-old. I encountered the risen Jesus and I realized that nothing mattered anymore but that I would know Christ and make him known. That God has given all of us a ministry of reconciliation. That we are Christ's ambassadors and that as we encounter the love of Christ... We are compelled to make him known that we can't help but to implore people to be reconciled to God. And as a 16-year-old, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I remember in high school, I took an accounting class. It was pretty easy. So I thought, well, maybe I'll be an accountant. Uh, When I was a kid growing up, I used to watch the show This Old House. Anybody watch that show? I love watching that show. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I will be a construction worker. Maybe I'll build houses. I didn't know what I was going to do, whether I was going to be an accountant or a construction worker, or a pastor. But I knew that I wanted to invest my life in others so that they could know about Christ. And so when I was a 16-year-old, and they asked me in my church to lead a Bible study uh, in my youth group, I remember being nervous about going to that first meeting, about leading a discussion. I, I was nervous that I wouldn't know what to say, but I knew that I was not going to turn down that opportunity to invest my life in others and point them to Christ. When, when you first came to Northridge, uh, maybe you had an experience, a spiritual high that you had never experienced before. Maybe you placed your faith in Christ for the first time. Maybe you had your first real taste of authentic community where people were honest, where they were real. Maybe the sermons on Sunday, they expanded your view of God and your understanding of God that convicted you of areas that you needed to change that when you stood up in a worship service on Sunday, brokenness over your sin and gratitude for God's grace, those flowed out of your mouth as you sang. And then one day, someone in your group invited you to join them in group leadership. And, and while you were growing in your faith, the thought of leading other people spiritually, that, that was a scary thought. Uh, but you said yes, and God began to use you in ways that you never thought were possible. But, but maybe as you walk in the room today, if you're honest, you would say, it's been a long time since I felt that near to Christ. Maybe you'd say, I, I feel empty instead of full. I feel a lot more like that Oldsmobile with an empty gas tank. And I know for me, priority number one is to pursue Christ. But if I'm honest, it, it's a struggle for me. Maybe you'd say, you know, a lot has changed since I first stepped into group leadership or since I first began to follow Christ. You know, work is more demanding, parenting is exhausting, your friends have moved or they've drifted. 
Maybe you've changed churches or your friends have changed churches. Maybe your marriage is difficult. Your health has taken a turn. And you'd say, you know, I want to pursue Christ. I want to be full in Christ, but it's a struggle. I feel stuck. I feel stagnant. As you evaluate your own faith tonight, ask yourself this question. What is keeping you from pursuing Christ? At the end of our time tonight, after our large group time, we're going to have breakouts that are designed to help us to answer that question and to help us to take appropriate next steps to pursue Christ, to fill up our gas tank spiritually. And while I think there's some next steps that we can take after tonight, we don't want to wait until after tonight. We want to pursue Christ right now. On your table, in the middle of your table, you'll see these little mini cars. And I want you to take those home tonight to remind yourself that if your gas tank is not full spiritually, uh, then leading a group is going to feel a lot like pushing a dead car up a hill. Uh, But maybe that raises the question, well, what is it that fills our tank spiritually? What What is it that moves us from empty to full? And I think Paul addresses this in Ephesians chapter 3. He says this. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, They have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love and to know this love and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Why? That you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. What is it that moves us from empty to full? Well, Paul says here, it's that when we know Jesus' love that surpasses knowledge, when we gaze on Christ's love, then we may be filled with the fullness of God. We have breakouts designed tonight to help you figure out your next steps to pursue Christ. But right now, instead of us focusing on how we want to fill our own gas tanks spiritually, we want to look at the one who has emptied his tank so that he can fill ours. And since the dawn of the church, the primary way that the church has pursued Christ together is by eating a meal together and celebrating communion. That's what we did this morning, and it's what we want to do again tonight. And so Nate is going to sing a song for us, and as he does... I want you to reflect on the cross. Remember your past. Reflect on your your current struggles. Reflect on how God has changed you and what you still need to change. But don't get stuck thinking about yourself. Remind yourself of what God in Christ has done for you. Remind yourself of the love of God that surpasses knowledge. So that when we gaze on that love we may be filled with the fullness of Christ. So as Nate plays this song, when you're ready, you can take the communion cups on your table. You can eat the bread and drink the juice as you reflect on his love. And after this song, we're going to spend some moments at our table in discussion.
Draw us in and lift us up. 